0: Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me.
1: I'm Jesse Tuggy and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting. I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes,
0: bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 63 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about emotional management with type 1 diabetes. A quick reminder for everyone, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes or about the show, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. Jesse, you have the win
1: this week. Yes, I do. I am very proud of the win this week. So I have been study- saying so on top of my homework and actually knowing when to stop for the day has been huge these last couple of weeks. So for me, working from home is pretty hard for a couple of reasons. And one of them being that I don't know when to stop doing work. But for instance, my day starts at seven and I go up and I get on a walk with my mom. But one time I got up at seven and went on my walk. And then I came back and I sat at my desk for the next 10 plus hours until seven o'clock at night, just working away. And I did not feel great after that. But this week I've been really on top of myself, taking breaks and walking around the house and getting snacks and drinking water and stopping schoolwork, usually at five or five 30, unless I have to go to work and then I'll do homework after or the next day. So, so I, feel- I can
0: totally relate to sitting at my computer all day and not getting up. And I agree if you sit for too long, then it starts to feel like terribleness
1: all throughout the body. Yeah. And I, I realized, I noticed this, but I actually started getting like a little claustrophobic in my room if I'm in here too long, just like days long. Like if I'm studying in here and then not going anywhere, like Monday through Wednesday, then I start feeling like it just all comes in on me. So I have been trying to move around the house doing schoolwork and stuff like that for the last couple of days and weeks. So it's been working out pretty well, though. Awesome.
0: So I have the fail this week. Womp womp. I'm not really sure what was going on, but when we were watching Avengers Endgame, my number kept dipping down. And then after the second Smarty roll that I had, my number just decided to go way up, 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 and then stayed over 175 for a few hours for like no reason. It's great. My husband thinks that it might have been an emotionally driven high, which it's possible because if you've seen Avengers Endgame and you know me at all, I actually cry throughout the entire thing, especially when it was in theaters. But Infinity War, I was sobbing the first 10 minutes. So
1: that's me and Avengers. Oh, yeah. Been there. Done that. That it's, whole. Yep. I love you. 3000. <laughs> right. That that got me like it was the end of the movie and they they just said it and then I just broke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was awful. Anyways, okay, so the hack this week. This is writing down your goals and putting them on a sticky note and then putting that sticky note somewhere where you will see it every single day or as often as you possibly can. By doing this, you are making a statement that will happen in the future. For instance, saying, I will finish, by, I will finish this book by next week, late afternoon. Uh, you're not only encouraging yourself to do this, but you're also setting an attainable goal for a future prospect, which is great because I do that with my books and my homework and it really helps me and it gets your productivity up and it really encourages you because it's a statement. It's not questioning yourself. I will put a caveat on this
0: and I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly because whatever, but we'll go with it. Putting a sticky note that's visible is great if it's short-term, but if it's like a long-term reminder you're gonna start to to kind of glaze over it. I have four different sticky notes on my computer monitor right now, and I don't look at them at all ever. <laughs> because they're long term like reminders. So I'm like, oh, what did that say again? But another idea would be to make like your computer background be your goal or whatever, if it's short enough and you have your your background up often enough or have it on your phone background. So those are other good options.
1: Yeah, definitely stick to this with short term goals and then just keep hacking away at those long-term goals. But also you have to remember that you have to take action towards reaching those goals. This isn't just an affirmation saying, "Yes, you are beautiful," but what like you have to work towards this, so like reading your book every night, finishing all, like something early so you can get time out of your day mm-hmm. to take action to reach your short-term goal. Yep, there is a big difference between
0: manifesting and taking action and actually making it happen. Anyway, now we're going to talk about emotional management. So people aren't taught emotional management in school, which is a travesty. I think they should teach emotional management, time management, money management, because none of those are actually taught in school. And emotional management in particular is something that people with chronic illnesses like type 1 really need to understand and add to their tool belt since we have this really
1: big extra layer of stress to deal with. Cool. So what is emotional management? To me, emotional management is when you learn how to control your feelings, being okay with what you feel, and then accepting what you feel, and then moving or on towards feeling better about that, either emotion or decision.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point because the only thing we can't control is ourselves., yeah. and I've talked about this a lot before, I'm probably on this podcast. I know I've talked about it on my website. But this is all credited to Brooke Castillo, and she teaches something called the model, which is there are circumstances in the world, and we have thoughts about those circumstances. Those thoughts trigger feelings, and those feelings drive our actions, and then those actions bring our results. And if you look back through that, it's always the thought. So if we're feeling negative emotion, it's because we're thinking a negative thought. So when we're feeling bad about our diabetes, it's because we're thinking something that's negative about it. So, emotional management, it's not so much controlling how you feel, it's controlling how you think and being willing and able to feel any feeling even the negative ones.
1: Yeah. And then working towards feeling better or yeah. more improved. Yeah, I would say. But again, yeah. it's not it's not the goal
0: to be 100% happy all the time because no, we can't be. Yeah. No. And what's kind of interesting is if you are willing to feel the negative 50%, then it's actually a lot easier to handle because you're not resisting it. And once you stop resisting it, it just gets easier to work through. And then the more you work through it, the more capable you are of handling future negative emotions.
1: Yeah. And another big part of this, I would say, is also being able to identify and understand your emotions and where they're coming from, not necessarily like what they are. So like if I'm up doing my job cashiering and all of a sudden I feel anxious, I need to first identify what I'm feeling anxiety understand that it's something that's happening to me now taking control of the situation by realizing what's going on what's making me feel anxious and then changing that so here's a question how do you know it's anxiety for me it's more of like it gets like a little pit in my stomach and I feel like very tense all of a sudden and very like on edge for me, so I just, you recognize what your symptoms are and then you go back and diagnose yeah, kind of thing. For me, anxiety
0: is, it's also in my stomach. It's this sharp kind of piercing sensation. And then it's like my stomach goes swoop. And it's And then it, it's like my stomach just drops out from underneath me. And that happens in cycles, which is really interesting. It happens most predictably when I'm rinsing my coffee filter out at the sink it's very strange. But if I'm doing that, I know I can feel anxiety. I don't know why. (laughs) That's just what it feels like for me.
1: Yeah. And then sometimes you just know, like, yes, I am very happy right now. Like, yeah, I'm feeling a lot of joy. Like sometimes you just know what you're feeling rather than like just having to dig deep in it. Yeah.
0: And for some people, they actually can't tell where in their body body they feel an emotion. And that's because they've disconnected from their body So they'll cerebrally be feeling maybe fear or anger. But if you ask them to identify where they feel that in their body, they have no idea because they're disconnected from their body in that respect. So when you were talking about being able to identify your feelings, some people might not know what the difference is between anxiety and something a little bit different, like maybe nervousness. So the nuance is, it's really personal and... The better you get with processing your emotions and knowing the different names for emotions and maybe pretending to feel different emotions, that can also help you get in touch with both your body and what those emotions are like for you in your life.
1: Awesome. So managing your emotions and then controlling your emotions. Managing is where you feel something and you change the way you feel about it. Controlling to me is always feeling this one thing without letting yourself feel another emotion. Can you go more into that about the the controlling? The second one, yeah, yeah. So for me, it's like when when I know I feel sad or when I know I feel really happy, and you know something like a circumstance changes that, where like an outside force just comes in and kind of like changes it, and I do not allow myself. Remember
0: circumstances cause our thoughts and thoughts cause our feelings.
1: Right. Okay. So then a thought comes in and changes my feelings, but I don't allow myself to feel that. So it's control. So I feel happy no matter what thought is going through my head rather than managing it where I feel something, I accept it and I change or I have a different thought and I change the way I feel about it. Okay.
0: So that sounds a little bit like interrupting a model or switching models which is totally fine because we have tons of them at any given moment in the world. So I think for me managing emotions is versus controlling emotions what it comes down to is managing emotions means you're willing to process them and actually feel them. And controlling emotions to me is more like resisting feeling something you don't want to feel and trying to trying to force yourself into a feeling that maybe you can't actually feel fully. So if you're in a situation where you're feeling like really sad, but it's not a situation where you can let yourself go through the whole actions that you would otherwise do if you were alone. So let's say you were dealing with grief in the workplace. That's a big one. If you don't let yourself feel the grief when you're at home by yourself and it comes up later and you try to control for it, that's when it's going to push against you even more. And it might bubble up and then you might start crying at work when you didn't want to. And that's the simplest way for me for defining the difference between managing and controlling emotions is that controlling, you're trying to resist it in managing. You're just allowing it and making time to process all of them.
1: Okay. So why is it important for people with type one diabetes to learn emotional management? So when it comes to aspects of diabetes, we should really be applying this not just specifically to one thing. It should be all parts of our diabetes, like blood sugar, how I feel about putting on a mio shots, doctor's appointments, A one C checkups. Like it shouldn't just be one specific thing. It should be everything because diabetes is everything to us. Yeah, it is. It it's gonna play a part in every single aspect of our life. So we should learn how to understand and accept our emotions when it comes to all aspects of our diabetes. So when my blood sugar is higher and I want it to be down, I have to understand that I need to be okay with it being high in this one instance and knowing that I have the power to change it, even though it might not be right now. And then also when I acknowledge that I feel out of control with my, this is a big one, when you acknowledge that you feel really out of control with your diabetes management, you have to understand that you need to breathe in and breathe out and just kind of understand that you right now are out of control and accept that. It's not the greatest feeling in the world, but just understanding what's going on internally and then just kind of bring yourself back and like calming down and being more grounded and then getting back and fixing the problem really helps a lot. So Even acknowledging that at this moment, I'm out of control. Like there is no way that I'm controlling my blood sugars in this instance, like just a random spike in your blood sugar throughout the day. There's no way that you're causing that random spike. But just acknowledging the fact that you didn't have control over it really just helps to identify and then change your thinking about it.
0: That's actually a really good place for me to give this example, which was back to my fail. So I had that second Smarty roll after low blood sugars, and it was staying low. And then my number just went up to 175 and stayed there. I had no idea that was going to happen. And if I had been like, oh, F this. I just wanted to come back down. Uh, Then I would have ended up not enjoying the movie as much. And instead, I was just like, okay, it is what it is. I'll give insulin. If it stays high, then I'll give more insulin. And you just have to... It's just accepting it, honestly. So when you were talking about applying it to not just one aspect of diabetes, that was really good because diabetes for us encompasses our entire lives. There is this extra layer of diabetes stress on top of it all. And Rob Howe talks about how diabetes adds, uh, I think it was a certain number of extra decisions on top of your day. I can't remember what the number was, but I think it was rather high. And we just have to accept it because... If we don't, then we're going to be resisting it. And then we'll end up with higher A1Cs, worse control. We'll feel awful about our diabetes all the time. And we don't want that. We want to be able to thrive with diabetes. That's the point.
1: Yeah. So directly to answer the question, why is it important for people with type 1 diabetes to learn emotional management is because of the consequences that can happen because of the unacknowledgement or ignoring of what's going on with us, yeah.
0: If you think about people who have complications, especially complications because they didn't take care of themselves in the early years, and now they're dealing with things like neuropathy, retinopathy, glaucoma, they're losing their eyesight, maybe they have they've had a foot amputated. And nowadays the like the foot amputations are very rare for type ones, at least the ones that my endocrinologist sees. But for type twos, it might be a problem. But if those consequences of not taking care of yourself come because you're not willing to face the fact that you are type 1 diabetic and that this is your reality now and you are responsible for managing your emotions about it. Because if we don't em- manage our emotions, we can't manage anything.
1: So a couple of good strategies to keep in mind when you like having a moment, as we all do, is to breathe in and out, close your eyes as like an extended blink or something like that, Walk away for a set period of time. Like allow yourself a grace period to feel your emotions, to walk away, to let yourself relax kind of for a minute and then come back and figure out what you need to do. Uh, Drawing is a good one. Like drawing down what you're feeling or what that looks like to you. Like anxiety might be like a square or something. I don't know. But just like either drawing or writing down what you feel and just physically getting it out of your system is really good. Have you ever seen
0: Hyperbole and a Half? Mm-mm. It's a webcomic that's done by a woman named Allie Brosh. And she does all of her art in paintbrush, which is mm. amazing because that's like the most basic paint tool ever. But she does a lot of... Basically, she draws her feelings. Yeah. And she she does she does what you're saying. And she has been posting recently on Facebook an album documenting the last seven years that she's kind of been incognito. And in a lot of them, she's like, this is a representation of what depression felt like for me, or this was my attempt at drawing anxiety.
1: And that was, that was really cool to watch. The reason I wrote this down is because I saw online, I think there was like a study done by some uh, psychiatric ward patients and they like drew out these amazing photos, very gothic and very eerie looking about what anxiety or depression looked like for them and i was just thinking like this can be applied definitely to us so that's where i got the idea from but yeah writing it down like keeping a journal or a diary is also really helpful too like just identifying and writing down like it, it's physically getting it out of your system
0: yeah i call them brain dumps or mm-hmm. thought downloads and you can do this in any old journal or if you prefer typing it then there are plenty of platforms out there You could use a note-taking app like Notion or Evernote. Or if you wanted to do something that's a little bit more secure and it's uh, cloud-based, then there's 750 words. It's just 750words.com. And that's like 5 bucks a month after a free 30-day trial.
1: Sitting down is a really great one. Like just, Just sitting is really fun to do if you've been on your feet for a while or changing your scenery in a different place that you're sitting down. Drinking water, which I do this... A lot. I have got like a big hydro flask cup that I've got a straw out of that. I just kind of, I chew on the straw. I'm not going to lie, but Colleen's showing her water bottle. (laughs) But yeah, definitely drinking water, drinking a lot of liquid. It doesn't have to be water. Like if it's a smoothie you really like, I mean, I don't recommend drinking a smoothie, like eight times, like eight smoothies a day or anything, but you know, definitely enjoying what you're doing. Hot tea is good. Yeah, hot tea, awesome coffee. You know, if you're a coffee person,
0: except maybe after two p.m. because caffeine yeah. will keep you up.
1: Yeah, going to the bathroom, not necessarily to use the bathroom, but to just kind of collect yourself. Because usually, you know, the restroom's like generally a quiet place if nobody's in there. So just kind of going in there and collecting yourself.
0: Are you thinking about like when you're in a public place, like at work or school? Yeah,
1: this is. I'm thinking about work or school at the okay. moment. Yeah. The, for the bathroom one, at least drinking water, the rest of these you can do anywhere like at home or anything, but going to the bathroom, like public place or at work and just kind of collecting yourself is really good. Going on a walk, which I would not recommend doing this in the middle of a meeting or anything like that. But as like, I go on walks in the mornings with my mom, we'll go on walks after dinners. If you're on a break for like lunch or something like that, I definitely recommend doing this.
0: My husband and I will take a walk after the workday just to just to have a, a break and kind of a transition period because I don't have a commute right now. That's good.
1: Self-care of any sort. And by self-care, I mean literally anything you do to make yourself feel better. So like painting your nails, getting manicure, or a pedicure, going. I wouldn't recommend going like shopping every time you feel sad, but you know, mm-hmm. like once a month going for a little like pick me up or, or, you know, if you see something really cute and you want it, I say, go get it. Um, So just like anything that you, you can do for yourself to make you feel better.
0: And stay tuned for episode 65, which is going to be on self-care for type one diabetics. So at the beginning of Jesse's list, she was talking about breathing in and out. My preferred breathing in and out strategy is called four, seven, eight breathing. It's breathe in for four seconds hold for seven, and breathe out for eight. And this is a technique I learned from my endocrinologist, who I interviewed in episode 61. So you can go back and listen to that if you haven't heard her yet. But this type of breathing is really good because it activates the vagus nerve, and that slows down your heart rate. And anytime you're slowing down your heart rate, you're also calming yourself down. So that's a really good breathing technique that I personally use to get myself out of anxious like anxiety bubbles or panic attacks. Another one of my strategies or grounding exercises is also a good tip for if you have been staring at your computer screen for too long, it's to every 20 minutes, look at something that's 20 feet away for 20 seconds. So this is called the 20-20-20 rule for eye health or eye hygiene, I guess. And this lets you relax your eyeballs from focusing on the computer screen and just take a break. Take a little mental break. Because when we're staring at our computer screens for so long, especially if you're on meetings all day with your camera on and you can't really take a break, just maybe turning around, looking outside the window or staring down the hallway, just taking a that break to look away from your screen for 20 seconds, that can help reset you, especially if you're feeling like you're out of control.
1: And then this one too, I do this throughout the day is the 202020. 20, 20, 20. Also, if you're still feeling like eye strain or something, I recommend getting like blue light glasses. It'll cancel out like the extra blue glare that you get from a computer screen throughout the day. It's really helped me working from home with like eye soreness throughout the day.
0: Yeah. And I have a program called Flux installed on my computer and that will automatically turn the blue light down and kind of make it a little bit more of a soft color on my computer screen. I also have an app called Twilight on my phone, and that also helps with the computer or the phone blue light. I'm gonna put those in our show notes links for. Another one is stretching. So this one is especially good because you're activating your muscles, stretching them out. I know if I'm sitting for a really long time, then I feel like my body is kind of scrunched in on itself. And if I stretch, then that helps get the blood flowing and it helps me feel a little bit more awake. I've been stretching in the mornings before I get in the shower and just laying on the ground and stretching from head to toe just straight out. It feels so good after just waking up in the morning. And I had had not been doing that for like ever until recently. Another tip is if you have your CGM receiver separate from your pump and your blood sugars are like all over the place and it keeps yelling at you, put it in another room for a bit. Just get it out of sight, out of mind. You can deal with your blood sugars like presently or you can deal with them later because a lot of people have emotional reactions to their CGMs going off, especially if it's every 10 minutes, every 20 minutes because you're high and you won't come down. Feel free to go shove it in in a drawer for like an hour because you will survive this hour without your CGM. You survived for years without a CGM to begin with if you've been diagnosed as long as Jesse and I have but just doing that can totally take you take your level, your emotional levels down. So some examples where managing emotions comes in handy because we have a lot of these examples. My favorite by far is when you're on the phone with insurance companies. <laughs> this is one of the most stressful things I have ever had to do with having type 1 diabetes and this includes having multiple sites kink one after another after another until I went through an entire box. Yeah. So, there was a point where I was on the Medtronic 500, 700 series pumps. And the quick sets that come with that have either a six millimeter or a nine millimeter infusion site. And since I have been on, or since I was on Medtronic up until that point, I was on the six millimeter ones. And then I had an entire box that kinked, one one right after the other, right after the other. And that was mind blowingly frustrating. And then I had a conversation with Alexa, who we interviewed. In one of our earlier episodes, and she had the nines, like the nine millimeter sets, and she wanted to try the sixes, so we swapped. So I got her nine millimeters, and she got my six millimeters. And I have been on the nine millimeters ever since, even when I switched to tandem. So I figured that problem out, but even that was not as frustrating as being on the phone with insurance. So this is a situation where you really want to be able to take a deep breath, center yourself not get mad at the person on the phone because it's not their fault. I know we love to blame the insurance companies for all of our problems, but it's really not that representative's fault and they're trying to help you. I went through this kind of frustration when I actually called uh, Chase because I booked tickets through them for our now-canceled Scotland trip. And I had to call their customer service to get one of those tickets refunded. And then I had to figure out how to get them canceled. I spent probably five plus hours on the phone with them across multiple days. It was super, super, super frustrating. Still not as frustrating as insurance. Another situation is when you're high all day for no reason. Again, it's happened. You are maybe probably not responsible for it. It's just one of the 42 plus factors that affect your blood sugar. It's your circumstance right now. So you can either choose to feel like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to you Or you can choose to accept that this is what life is right now. I can handle this and be calm about it. Another one is uh, blood sugar roller coasters. Those are always fun. I've had a few days recently where I go up and then I go down and then up and then down and up and down. And they're usually within my, my range, but it's almost a constant up and down so that it's either turning off my insulin or giving me insulin. And if it's giving me too much insulin, then I have to have a smarty roll. And then it goes up and then it comes back down. And so sometimes it just takes a day or two for that to settle out. And that can be frustrating. So I just have to remember that this is what's happening right now. I can make my best educated guess about what to do for the next few numbers on the screen. Sometimes I just need to go to sleep. Maybe it'll figure itself out. Sometimes that happens. So the next one I have is teachers demanding that you turn off your pump or questioning why you're eating in class. And I think Jesse wants to answer this one or at least give I, a story.
1: Yes, I can give a story to this one. So basically it's my second year of French class. I am a sophomore in high school. I get up to throw away a wrapper from a candy bar that she gave us called a Madeline. It's French, sweet, French thing. So I, I wanted to try it. So I, I get up and I throw the thing away because she told us to just throw it away when we were done. My pump goes off in the middle of me walking back to my seat and she asks me to turn off my phone and pump, basically asked me to detach it and bring it down to the office. I told her, no, it's my insulin pump. And I had to explain this in front of about 25 other sophomores and seniors and juniors in the class. And I even sent her an email the day before saying, hey, I'm type one diabetic. If you have questions, come to me in privately But at the moment, don't point out in front of the class. If my pump goes off, I'll just take care of it. So I had told her that it wasn't a big deal.
0: Yeah, I don't think I ever had that kind of situation in junior high, high school, elementary. I went to private schools until college. And by the time you get to college, the professors literally don't care. (laughs) So if you can pretty much do whatever you want, unless you have a really strict professor and they really... They were pretty laid back. I didn't have any of those problems, which I'm sorry you're going through that. It was just the
1: one teacher. I'm not like there's nobody like all of my other teachers. Basically, the entire school knows that I'm diabetic and not to make not to worry about it because I've got it under control. Was this woman a sub? No, she had (laughs) me in the year before, too. So she knew. Yeah. So she's very special. It makes it worse. It really did. But... It's all turning out now. Like, I've never had a problem since. I've never had a problem before. It's just this one incident with the teacher. Yeah.
0: Another example where managing your emotions comes in handy is when you eat the same thing, like the same exact thing that you ate yesterday. Maybe it's your entire food plan for today is the exact same as yesterday, and your numbers are wildly different. This is doing the exact same thing twice in a row and expecting the same result. As type 1 diabetics, we have to expect a different result. We have to do what the definition of insanity is. It's ridiculous. Because there's 42 plus different factors that affect our blood sugars. And even if we control for food, that doesn't control for hormones. That doesn't control for how much sleep you got. That doesn't control for your stress levels. So we, while food is a really big deal for type 1 diabetics, you can't rely on just the food for your blood sugars. You have to take into account pretty much everything else. And we will link in the show notes to the 42 factors that affect blood sugar or blood glucose. And that is by Diatribe and by Adam Brown, who we interviewed in episode 55. You can go back and listen to that.
1: All right. And then I've just got some quick ones in here. In the middle of a test, including AP and SAT testing, this can be very stressful with a test proctor watching over you like a hawk, making sure you're not cheating they're just doing their job, but you know, it's still pretty stressful when they're questioning you about whether that's a pager or a phone or something to cheat with. But basically just let them know ahead of time, breathe. You've got this. You're gonna get great on your testing scores, or even in the classroom if your teachers just have like a weird thing that day or just forget. Just just breathe, center, and you're good. When you need to focus, but you can't, meaning like in the middle of the day, after lunch when you have a lot of energy and just can't get it out or you just can't focus? Um, This is actually a good point. I
0: figured out that when I schedule myself to do creative things in the evenings or the afternoons, I'm toast. So I can't focus to save my life in the evenings, especially if I'm like going to do blog posts, podcast outlines, if I'm working on something for my book. Doing it in the evenings is like, oh. So... That's that's really good. I have occasionally scheduled myself for these things in the evenings. And then when I get there, I'm like, uh, I don't want to do this. And so I I move it somewhere else. I just need to figure out how to move it somewhere else before I get to that point and yeah. not, feel tra- not feel crappy about it. <laughs> <laughs> just accepting it. Yeah, I have. That was kind of what happened the other day is I had outlined an episode in the evening and I was like, I got there and it wasn't happening. So yeah. I didn't try to force myself to do it is I guess the point I'm trying to make is I made an executive decision for my life to move it to some time when I could focus.
1: Yeah. Middle of the night or when you can't sleep anxiety and you're just like so focused on sleeping that you're getting anxious about what if I don't sleep, then this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen. That's a good time to just breathe and just close your eyes and just focus on your breathing rather than anything else that can go wrong. Performing in tasks that involves other people watching. Meaning presentations, speaking in public, podcasting, literally, I mean, going to the gym, anything where you think somebody else is watching you, that's a good time to just sit and breathe for a second because that gets real.
0: <laughs> I can personally speak to that one because I've presented multiple times for my company and the very first presentation I did in person was to over 160 people. Yeah. And I actually showed the graph to the next presentation that I gave. But my blood sugars started spiking 15 minutes before I started speaking because of the adrenaline. Yeah. And I figured out from that experience how to control it for later. And now I do the 478 breathing beforehand. Uh, Power poses actually work. Believe it or not, they 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 do work. They really do. And being hella prepared. So I practiced probably 40 hours for that first presentation. And I, for for the total, like time spent preparing for it, it was like over a hundred hours. It was yeah.
1: a lot of time. I believe it. But yeah, so that's, that's definitely one to really focus on your breathing with. Talking to someone you feel uncomfortable with. So this can be like dates, people you know, friends, family, even. Your body knows. Like honestly, if you're talking to somebody and you get in a bad vibe in your gut, it's a good time to just, Take a minute and just kind of evaluate. Do I want to keep talking to this person? Do I, do I want to carry on with this conversation? Should I excuse myself for just a second? And sometimes it may come across as rude or abrupt, but it's what's best for you. I mean, it's not best what's best for them. Understanding where the gut feeling is coming from and who you're talking to and whether you actually want to be talking to them or not is really good to identify. Also, this is a very important one when you're really tired. And you feel like everything's going to go wrong in your life and not anxiety, just like you're exhausted and you don't want to keep doing anything, go to bed, just go take a nap. Your body needs it. Like if you know you're tired and you keep pushing yourself beyond that point, that's a good time to say, hey, look, I'm going to go take a nap or I'm going to go to bed. And you just being tired makes everything worse. Like it amplifies all the bad and the negativity times 10.
0: And also, the longer you stay awake,
1: the more
0: similar to being drunk you are. Yeah. If you stay awake, I think past 17 hours is when you start acting drunk. And I have been at that point a few times. (laughs) Sometimes the best thing you can do is just go to sleep.
1: Yeah. And then one for all my gals or people who menstruate is when you're on your period... Basically, that whole week is just your time. You get to do what you need to do. Everybody knows you're in pain. I get it. Colleen gets it. Anybody who bleeds down there gets it. It sucks. Like it's And it's also kind of terrifying when you think about it. So just know that you're not alone. And it is okay to practice your patience and understand your emotions. Okay, so questions. What is your go-to strategy for when you feel like your emotions are getting a little out of control, Colleen? So I think for
0: me, I would take a like pause, close my eyeballs, and do my breathing technique. So the four, seven, eight breathing, I would do a few rounds of that and then just kind of sink into it. So example, today we were having our kitchen floor replaced. And when they got here, they said they didn't have enough flooring materials, even though they technically did. And we were supposed to take all of our food out of the fridge in the freezer and put it in a cooler so that they could move the fridge and all of that. And it seemed like for a few minutes that this whole thing wouldn't happen today. And so it was more just, okay, this is what's happening. I have no direct control over this. There's no point in getting upset because getting upset doesn't fix anything. So that's helped a lot is to just pause and think about from the perspective of I can't control this. So there is no point in trying. What's your go-to strategy?
1: I have a few. One, I really focus on my breathing. I close my eyes and I just focus on my breathing. I focus on what my stomach, what my gut is telling me. Like, is this a good decision? Is this a bad decision? Am I comfortable? Am I uncomfortable? So, really, just focusing on what my body's telling me. Another one that I've taken to the last couple of days is just going up to a pillow and just screaming into it when I get really frustrated. I know it sounds totally ridiculous and totally something like out of a 1980s rom-com or something, but definitely do it. Just let it out. And it really just, you're getting rid of your frustration. Just think of you're screaming it out of your body. So when you do that, do you find that you feel better
0: immediately afterwards or does it take until the next day after you've gone to sleep?
1: Both, depending on the situation. So like if I just got done with a test and I felt really frustrated taking it, I'll just do that, like turn off my camera and do that really fast. And then I'll feel better just knowing that I'm physically releasing some negativity. And then when it comes to long-term stuff, like if I had a really exhausting day, I'll more go into my truck and just go to the store really fast or like something small, something I, I know I need for like the next day or groceries or something. And I'll just hang out by myself in my car for a second and just sing along to some music that I really like. And that's more like a long-term, kind of like slowly releasing and getting myself to relax and just kind of enjoying myself in the moment rather than focusing on bad things. Another good strategy is whenever
0: you're feeling like your emotions are getting really crazy, is to write down all of the thoughts that are floating around in your head. Because guaranteed, all of those thoughts And even some that you're not even aware of are responsible for those feelings. So it's always good to get them out onto the paper because once you see them written down, some of them are like, why am I even upset about this? This is stupid. And then you can just immediately dismiss it. So those ones are nice.
1: And then what are some steps that our listeners should take to begin to apply all of this advice to their lives? Like what little aspect should they start with?
0: Honestly, you guys should start with writing everything down. It sounds really simplistic. It sounds like how is this going to help? But honestly, the act of physically writing it out with a pen and a paper or a pencil and your journal, that brain-to-hand action makes it real. And that takes away some of its power. It's kind of a little bit of a contrast right there or a paradox or whatever, however you want to talk about it. It doesn't really make sense that if you write it down, it makes it more real, but that gives it less power. Try it. Honestly, <laughs> it's really amazing how it works. What is uh, your tip for people getting started?
1: I would just say start with one thing. So like something that really frustrates you, like maybe you're in a class and you're feeling really frustrated is to just feel that and then think about what you can do to not feel that or start going on a walk after that class or just anything that you find relaxing, just do that immediately after that one thing. And then every time you feel that emotion, just start to recognize it and then... Take it from there and do those same processes and those same steps that made you feel better the first time. All right. The
0: spotlight this week is on the Veterans Association. Veterans can now get DEXCOM's G6 CGM at VA pharmacies. And this is an excerpt from Diatribe, and we'll link to this in the show notes. The cost of the G6 CGM will be fully covered by the VA for veterans with type 1 and type 2 diabetes who take rapid acting insulin. And we'll list the eligibility criteria later. Until now, Veterans G6 CGM prescriptions were filled through the Durable Medical Equipment Channel, and it often took veterans two to six weeks to get their CGM. Now, vets with diabetes will be able to pick up their CGM from the pharmacy in two to three days. Veterans are eligible for CGM coverage from the VA if they have diabetes. They take more than three insulin injections each day or use an insulin pump. They have to check their blood glucose levels four or more times a day, which let's be honest, is mostly everybody. If they can learn how to use their CGM correctly and effectively, that is a requirement. And if they agree to meet with their healthcare team at least every six months to evaluate how the CGM is used to support their diabetes management. And another one is they have to be either at risk for low blood sugar, unable to keep their blood sugars in their target range, unable to self-monitor blood glucose due to a disability or conditions, or have a job where a low blood sugar event could put them in danger. So all of these are the requirements for being able to get a CGM through the VA. And this is seriously awesome. So if you're a
1: veteran, go look this up. All right. Our question for you guys this week is, how often do you feel like your emotions are out of control when it comes to your diabetes? What are your success stories? Share them in the comments or send us an email. That is it for this episode of This is Type 1.
0: You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 63. That's the number 63. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode or a guest request, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. It almost goes without saying, but figuring out how to manage your emotions can be super challenging on your own. I didn't figure it out by myself. I had and I still have some coaches that are helping me with that. And I can do the same for you. So I want to invite you to schedule a free 60-minute coaching consult at inspiredforward.com slash coaching. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward. And you can also find me on DMP, which is diabetes management platform, as at Colleen Mitchell with a space. So that's Colleen Space
1: Mitchell. And our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about the show or about type 1 diabetes. If you do reach out, please make sure to let me know that you're from the show, that you're a listener. Thank you so much for
0: listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts since that really helps other people find us. If you leave us an actual review with actual words and stuff, we will shout you out on the podcast. And be sure to listen next week when we talk with crime scene investigator Haley Williams. That's right, we're having a CSI on the show. Haley pulls back the curtain of CSI TV shows to show us how it really works and how she manages her type 1 diabetes in this fascinating job. This is one of my favorite interviews to date on this podcast, and I'm positive that this is an episode you won't want to miss. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.